It's March 8th at 12.06 p.m. here on the East Coast, and welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers' Room presented by Keeneland. My name is Bill Finley, and I'm a correspondent for the Thoroughbred Daily News and also co-host the Down the Stretch Show on Sirius XM Radio. I am Randy Moss uh, with NBC Sports. Zoe Cabin here with XBTV, Santa Anita, and First Bet. Doodle in the back. I see Lucy. Uh... No other dogs. There she is. She's alive. I just saw her move. There's proof in the pudding. All right. Sue's going to kill me if I don't do this. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) We have to have equal representation. There she is. Hi, Penny. There we go. She's about to bite you. All right, Penny. (laughs) All right. Enough of the dogs, folks. Let's talk about good horse racing. And there was plenty of it last weekend. We're going to divide things up a little bit in the show. Let's start off this first segment with the Fountain of Youth, which is a top day, just spectacular card at Goldstream with nine stakes races. We're going to talk to Mike Rapoli, the co-owner of Forte, a little bit later on in the show. And what I said to Mike when I interviewed him, I'll repeat that. It was perfect. Uh, You know, what more could you want? The two-year-old champion doesn't miss a minute of training, works great coming into the race, wins the race authoritatively, but doesn't run off the screen and get some huge figure where you think he's going to bounce. I think now with uh, everybody having a chance to digest this race, it's clear that Forte is the number one contender for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, a lot of people still are big Arabian Night fans, which is uh, justified. We'll see what happens to him. But uh, one weird thing about him, 19 days without a workout before working out on Saturday at Santa Anita in 59.20. Maybe Zoe saw that work. We'll, we'll no, but uh, Randy, uh, I mean, Todd Pletcher, Mike Rapoli, Vinny Viola, they have to be awful happy with what they saw Saturday at Goldstream. Oh, yeah. I mean, with all the things that can go wrong in horse racing, and we all know what they are, uh, Todd Pletcher had said going into the Fountain of Youth that everything had gone perfectly in the preparation for Forte. There hadn't been even a single hiccup along the way. And I think we saw that in the Fountain of Youth. I think the best way to put it is like a tennis analogy. He held serve, which at this time of year, first start as a three-year-old, is kind of exactly what you're looking for. No massive improvement or anything like that. When Blazing Sevens was a complete no-show, Forte figured to be absolutely dominant over the field, and that's exactly what he was. He took a little bit of dirt on the first turn, swung out at the top of the stretch, went on just like he was supposed to, and it's all systems go now for the Florida Derby. I texted with Chad Brown this morning about Blazing Sevens, No huge excuse. He said the horse lost a front shoe during the running of the race. He theorizes that Blazing Sevens did not handle the track. He got beat 26 lengths. Uh, And he will be seen next in the Wood Memorial. Yeah, terrific race um, by Forte. Basically, that's all you can say. And the, the thing that I really liked about it was you could see that he was at about 90% fitness. So there is room for improvement and watching him physically, because I really like to watch and see how these horses have developed from two to three, not only in the performance, but how they physically look. 
And he has broadened through the chest, through the hind end, and definitely grown. And not to a point where you think, oh, gosh, he's going to start growing right now. He's done his growing. He looked phenomenal. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing. He may be the most exciting prospect that we've seen this far. Yeah, he certainly looks like it. And, you know, as I said, he's a clear number one. Rocket can ran a good second, but I think, you know, he is what he is. He's a good horse. He's just not at this point as good as Forte, but he'll certainly move forward as well. Uh, Randy, uh, the prospects of this horse winning the Kentucky Derby, it's a long way to go. We haven't had a Fountain of Youth winner win the uh, Kentucky Derby since Orban 2013. We all know the history of Breeders' Cup juvenile winners is not very good in the Kentucky Derby, but uh, certainly if they were to run the race three weeks from now, he'd be a huge favorite, would he not? Yeah, I mean, he certainly, I think, deserves to be ranked number one right now. You pointed out Arabian Night, and I know there are a lot of Arabian Night fans out there, and rightfully so, the way he won the Southwest and the way he looked before that. He apparently did miss a workout at Santa Anita even before the weather hit, but he came back on Monday and worked really well. He's going to run, they say, either in the Santa Anita Derby or the Arkansas Derby. Um, so, I mean, those two right now would be at the top, but I think Forte, in my opinion, would be a pretty solid number one at this point. He definitely has the recency. I think that Arabian Knight may have a touch of brilliance to him, and he certainly didn't look like he missed a beat in his last work. So really, really looking forward to seeing him show up next. A couple other things to talk about on the Gulfstream charge. Well, I was very disappointed in Charge It, who was second in the Gulfstream mile. It wasn't a bad race from him, but I thought he was going to be, uh, in time, declared the best older horse in the country, uh, a, a division that's just been decimated by retirements. And how about the Devon and Stale Stakes? The road to the Kentucky Oaks has been, what a mess this has been. Okay, we've got two major contenders in here, and, and Red Carpet Ready and Leave No Trace. Red Carpet Ready is a kind of a no-show third. Leave No Trace was eased. The winner is Dorth Vader at 46 to 1. First ever stakes win for trainer Michael Yates. And um, how about this? The key race, the most important race on the road to the Kentucky Oaks this year so far has been the Gasparilla Stakes <laughs> at Tampa Bay Downs. Uh, Dreaming of Snow was fourth in that, came back and beat none other than Wonder Wheel in the Suncoast Stakes. And Dorth Vader was sixth in that in the uh, Gasparilla. And Randy, I know you're covering the race on NBC. To see the uh, winning owner, Dorothy Yates, she was... I'm. Never seen something go. She was so happy. She was literally shaking. It was it was kind of cool to see that. It was pretty cool. Dorothy as in Dorth Vader, right? Right. Uh, now, the horse got an 81 buyer speed figure. So I don't think you can really, you know, start declaring that Dorth Vader is a uh, you know, strong contender for the Kentucky Oaks. But hey, con congratulations. They win the Devona Dale. Look, I've got a printout here of about four pages of past performances of three-year-old fillies. You talk about a division in complete disarray right now. Right. Because we head to the Kentucky Oaks. I mean, Wonder Wheel comes back and loses. Uh, Who's your filly comes back and, and and is very dull. Brad Cox has got like three or four top contenders. Wet Paint won the honeybee and looked good. He's got a three-year-old filly named Punch Bowl who won an allowance race on Sunday at Oakline that looks even better than Wet Paint. Um, he's got others. Todd Pletcher's got a couple. There's a whole long list of horses. Norm Cassie has got one that came out of the woodwork that won an allowance race at the fairgrounds. So there's still a lot left to be written about the Kentucky Oaks, and it'll be an interesting division to follow. Yeah, there most certainly is. And a big congratulations to trainer Michael Yates. It was his first graded stakes win. He's been training for 30 years. He's won numerous stakes, but that was his first graded stakes win. So 
kudos to him. And one really, I don't think she's nominated and she certainly hasn't earned any points, but it would be Phaser. She's a perfect four for four now. Baffert's yeah, still Zoe, she's, she's, not, she's not nominated. And because no, she didn't leave the Baffert barn after that February 28th deadline, even if they wanted to supplement her or a late uh, entry phase, she can't run. And, uh, you know, again, how strange is this? I think right now you can make an argument that she's the best three-year-old filly in the country. And she's not even nominated for the Kentucky right. Oak. So as, as Randy said, the division is in disarray. And apparently the owner, Michael Lund Peterson, who also owned Gamine, has no interest in running mm -hmm. at Churchill Downs. So that's yeah, the I reason thought that might be the case. Um, was not yeah. transferred to the uh, to the right. Tim Yakteen or any other barn. So we'll see what happens to her. The TDN Rises Room is brought to you by Keeneland. On Sunday, April the 30th, Keeneland will host an April Selected Horses of Racing Age sale beginning at 4 p.m. Entry deadline for the print version of the sale catalog is Monday, April the 3rd. Approved supplemental entries will be accepted right up to the sale. We'll be right back after these messages from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say, this is racing. This beating heart in the heart of horse country. Steady and strong beneath the roar. Reminding us why. For the love of the horse. For generations to come. He was just put together like a machine and he had a great mind. Everything about him was what you'd want. Tis the law pops the cork in the champagne. Tis the law is going to win the first leg of the Triple Crown. I've never seen him get tired. Respect the law. Tis the law. His structure is just perfect. His bone is perfect. He's left the others behind. He's going to win the run, Happy Travers. He's everything you would look for in a horse. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Coolmore. It was a Saturday stakes triple for Practical Joke. Peter Brandt's Sheeta Beauty won the Busher Stakes at Aqueduct to remain undefeated and earn 50 Kentucky Derby points. About two hours later on the same Aqueduct card, Little Vic won the Grade 3 Tom Fool Handicap. And finally, Practical Move won the Grade 2 San Felipe Stakes to stamp himself as a serious Kentucky Derby candidate. And he picked up about 50 Derby points. Ironically, he was bred by Chad Brown, the trainer of Sheeta Beauty. And what a weekend it was for Justify. He was also the sire of three winners on Saturday, including the grade two winner learning to fly in Australia. The undefeated filly heads next to the grade one golden slipper on March the 18th. Well, a very sad and tragic story hit horse racing last week with the death of Alex Cancheri, a young man at 29, was a rider in the Midwest circuit, Canterbury Downs, Prairie Meadows, those places of a suicide. Uh, this is the second suicide of a jockey in about a six-week period as Avery Wisman uh, unfortunately took his life uh, earlier this year at the age of 23. Um, I have a story in um, tomorrow's Thoroughbred Daily News, tomorrow being Thursday, that uh, Cancheri's family believes he may have been suffering from CTE, the, uh, which has been such a problem for the NFL and has led to the suicides of many NFL players. But Zoe, I'm going to lean heavily on, on you in this. Um, and we don't know what really was going on in the minds of these young men and, and really if the pressures of the job of being a jockey, how much they played a role in this. But obviously having two of these examples happen within a short period of time, you know, people are calling on the industry to take a, a 
more of a look from this. You, of course, are an ex-jockey. You know, can you speak to the mental health issues of being a jockey and your reflections on what happened here? I think that we really need to look at is most of what we're seeing is from jockeys that are not in action, that aren't doing very well, that have done very well before. Um, Avery Wiseman had a very good bug year. He got injured. Alex uh, Kanchari, he had some deaths in his family. He wasn't riding at the time. And I think when it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind, we as an industry, when these jockeys aren't riding, I think... Personally, we need to try and reach out to these guys and, and see if they're okay. Now, most of the time, it's the happy-go-lucky guys. It's the guys you never think of that they're going to do it. The ones that are so desperate inwardly, they feel like this is their only, only way out. And it's impossible to understand unless you're in that situation. And if you're in that situation, you're liable not to be sitting here right now. So... I can't speak for the families, but it's just a, a terrible thing to go through. And I think it it goes through jockeys' minds a little bit more when things aren't going their way, when they're not riding, when they have a lot of time on their hands, when they're injured and they're thinking, gosh, um, you know, am I ever going to get back? And I'm fat and nothing's going my way. It's just an awful lot of pressure to put onto these young guys. And they're not going to reach out. If you knew Alex Kanchari, outwardly, he was the most happy, go lucky, smiley, good natured young man you ever saw. And I actually believe he had a baby on the way as well. Ridiculous. So, you know, he, he leaves behind a whole family. It's incomprehensible to try and for me, wrap my head around it, to be perfectly honest. But the CTE thing, I think, is very, very interesting. And I will be really looking forward to seeing what the results of that brain scan are. Before we go to Randy, let me explain that further. CTE comes from uh, concussions, blows to the head. It's been a terrible problem for the NFL. They've sent his brain to Boston University CTE Center, which is the, the place where has been finding the preponderance of these NFL players that they study. I think it was 91% did suffer from CTE. Uh, his uh, sister, Ashley Concheri, told me it would take several weeks, if not maybe a couple months before they would get the results. It's not going to change anything, but it but it would add uh, you know new insights into the story. She said, um, I've been having trouble for obvious reasons uh, contacting her, but she told a television station in, um, I guess, the Minneapolis market that he had complained to her and said, I've been hit and a lot of spills, a lot of uh, knocks to my head and I'm not feeling good. So, you know, they obviously picked up on this. And uh, also, you know, concussions don't always equal CTE, but they can equal CTE. Studies have shown that jockeys are more prone to concussions than uh, individuals in any other sport. So, you know, it's hard enough being a jockey and, and things that, uh, uh, Zoe, you talked about, and obviously trying to maintain weight without having to worry about concussions and blows to your head. Randy, your thoughts on the subject? Yeah, well, I'd just like to ask Zoe. I mean, other than the obvious pressures with, uh, you know, with the dangers of the sport and the, and the weight and all that, did you ever perceive or did you ever hear jockeys talking about concussions or about the potential of, of, of brain issues while you were riding? No. I mean, no, because, I mean, I was riding 15, 20 years ago. So the CTE thing wasn't on the playing field then. It is a little bit more now. Um, there was a jockey at Santa Anita, Emily Ellingwood, went down on a uh, a John Sadler horse last year, and she was out for three weeks with a concussion. 
And she said she felt sick. She was nauseous for three weeks. She tried to come back. She basically didn't pass the vet to get back and ride. And, and she was definitely out for three weeks. A horse stuck with her in the stretch and she came off and landed on her head. And she said it rung her bell and she was physically sick for three weeks. I honestly have never had a concussion. I touch wood. I don't know how. Um, but yeah, she said it was awful. So to have multiple ones of those, I can't imagine. Zoe, another question for you. And again, uh, by no means we know if this had any, what I'm about to bring up has anything to do what happened to these jockeys, but isn't it time that we let these guys ride four or five pounds heavier? You know, I mean, that, that may again, have nothing to do with these suicides, but look, we're trying to make the lives of these jockeys easier. Shaking your head. Okay. Go ahead. Why? Um, I mean, this is a problem okay. I see, and I've argued with, you know, numerous jockeys about it. Mike Smith, like the guys that really watch their weight, like Mike Smith, maybe it might help him. You're just going to have bigger guys come in. I mean, look at the jump jockeys. They can ride at 140. So you've got a guy's 160 struggling to make 140. It's going to be the same thing. I, I, It's heavy enough. I mean, yeah, if you want to call it 118, that's fine. But you're still going to have the same problems. It's not going to solve the problems. You're just going to have Randy getting out his jocks license. Exactly. You, okay. you have, you I, have I, I disagree with the two of you, but I respect your opinion. Well, look, I mean... You're always going to have people reducing to try to get the money that a jockey can potentially make. And there's a much larger pool of individuals in the United States riding who naturally weighed, let's say, 140 pounds and would be tempted to try to reduce down to 120 than there are 100 natural 130 pounders. So yeah. you're just expanding the pool of people who will be willing to sacrifice their health in order to lose weight, you're not really accomplishing anything. You're at, you're actually creating unintended consequences that will make the problem worse. Mm -hmm. Case in point, when I had the bug, I didn't eat, right? I didn't eat anything. I'm like, oh, it's going to be so great when I lose the bug. I got this five pounds to play with. Oh, no, that's the same thing. I immediately put on five pounds and was back to square one. I didn't eat. So, you know, it's, it's not, not going to help. Randy, back to the possibilities of CTE and the concussion. One of your field of expertise is the NFL. And I, I think in the infancy of this, the NFL did a terrible job uh, with this. Their feet were held to the fire. And, and most people believe that they're doing a lot better job now. What has the NFL done right? And is there anything horse racing can learn from that? Well, I think what the NFL has done more than anything is just an increased awareness of the issues of concussions. And I worked with it, uh, for NFL Network for 13 years. Uh, and talk to, you know, countless numbers of, of NFL players about this particular issue. And even some of the veterans who, you know, were Hall of Famers who had retired long before concussions were really in the forefront of the conversation. And now players, it's changed so much. Players are so much more cognizant of the potential dangers of concussions that they don't necessarily always have a problem with going and being checked out. They'll sometimes ask, to be checked out on the sideline if they feel something might be wrong. That's a big step in the right direction. I'm not saying that happens every time. Some players still, you know, fight against it. Uh, but having that kind of awareness in horse racing certainly uh, wouldn't be a bad thing. Right. Um, just one more note on uh, Alex Kincherry. Uh, you know, he's left behind his fiance, two little children, and the fiance is, is pregnant with another child on the way. Um, there's uh, be 
because of uh, when I don't believe there's any life insurance policies involved. They're they're in a tough situation. There is a GoFundMe page for them. I, I really hope that everyone listening to this will take a look at that. Just just Google GoFundMe Alex and Jerry, and uh, you'll see, like Zoe said, the happiest. You, you see this beautiful picture of him with his fiance and his two small children, him just beaming. You can't imagine this is someone that a few months later uh, took their own life. So so please check that out. And um, it, it's it's a subject that we'll stay on top of. And uh, let's find out what would be interesting to see what comes out of Boston University so far as the CTE. And um, we'll uh, stay tuned on that. Well, we really enjoy our new feature here on the Thoroughbred Daily News Writers Room podcast, Zoe Cadman's First Things First at Santa Anita. Zoe, I know as soon as this is over, record this portion of the podcast, you're running out the door to do what? I am literally running out the door to go and meet Tim Yachtin at his barn and talk first things first. And of course, we're going to be discussing the one and only practical move who was sensational in the San Felipe. Congratulations. First off, Tim, has it, has it sunk in? Has it sunk in? No, it hasn't sunk in. It's been pretty exciting. Uh, take me through the race and and what you saw from Practical Move. You know, we didn't leave there super clean and missing the work sort of got him a little bit fresh. So he was up in the bridle a little bit more going into the first turn once we did get our footing underneath ourselves. And then I thought it was a great trip from there. Um, you know, the leaders had sort of drifted off the rail a little bit and um, I think we got a pretty nice trip. It was in Ramon's hands the whole time, which is always nice. Did you have any anxious moments when you saw him tap on the brakes? Nah, you know, because he was right there. Um, can, can you just give me an update on your other horses you had in the race? They've all come back in good shape, yeah. What about National Treasure? He was scratched. Right, he's doing great, and so we'll, we'll get back on track with him. I was looking up the ownership group of Practical Move. Um, do they have quarter horses too? Can, can you talk to me about them? Uh, um, I've never trained for them. Really? None, none of their shorties, but um, I've been with them in the thoroughbreds. So I don't know anything about their quarter horse division. I know they've been very successful. They've campaigned in the All-American. So I don't know how many owners have had an All-American starter and potentially, you know, if we get there. Are, are they relatively new owners for you? Um, yeah, I've actually had... Um, I've chatted with them for probably the last couple of years because they had another horse they were considering sending out. Um, things didn't work out. So, um, but this time they went down to OBS and bought a couple out of there. And this is um, one of them. They got derby fever? I think everybody's getting derby fever. How, how's your fever? My fevers? Uh, right now, I think I'm still pretty grounded. Um, we're still a little ways away, you know, so, um, 60 days is still quite a ways. So, um, you know, but I wouldn't trade my position with anybody, right? Santa Anita and First Bet continue to offer exciting and innovative betting action. Every weekend, you can bet the Coast to Coast Pick 5, which is five races from Santa Anita, and Goldstream Park, it's a dollar minimum bet with a low 15% takeout. Or you can try the $18,000 Santa Anita Pick'em Contest, an online contest mixing popular sports and horse racing with $500 in prize money to the top winner each day. And then there's the $7,500 Show Viva Contest. Play in Santa Anita's free online game by selecting one horse a day 
to compete for prize money across six different categories. Play for free at santaanita.com slash contest. Now that's a whole lot of action at Santa Anita. Just a reminder, we are racing at Santa Anita on Thursday, 12.30 post time, as well as Golden Gate Fields. TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association, the PHBA, who says, save the date for the 2022 Iroquois Awards Banquet. Six winners and individual category winners. Horse of the Year, Lifetime Achievement Award winner will be recognized on May the 12th at the beautiful Mendenhall Inn in Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. For more information, watch this space. More information will be available shortly. Here in Pennsylvania, we're proud of our breeding program, the best in North America, but we're also proud to be leaders in this industry. The PA Horse Breeders Association is funding cutting edge research at Penn Vet to detect gene doping in thoroughbreds. And we endorsed the SAFE Act to help protect the most vulnerable horses. Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare programs set up by our horsemen's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. What makes Woodford special is the attention to detail. Everyone on the team is doing their job. They're well qualified. They show up to work and they work hard and they care about the horse. And I think that's a reflection on uh, John Gleason's program. He gives me good information. He always has, uh, he has a very good understanding of the horse's well-being, where they're at physically and mentally. In equine nutrition, there's a triangle management, genetics, and nutrition. And John's criteria to accomplish that is at the highest pinnacle. I started breaking quarter horses for people when I was 15. You know, people send me quarter horses to break. And that's all I've done, you know, I don't hunt, I don't fish. I focus on training horses. I think about training horses on eating dinner, and laying in bed before you go to sleep. And if you roll over in the middle of the night, I think about a horse and it's, you know, it's all consuming. And I think to be successful, it has to be. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Woodford Thoroughbreds. Discover the Woodford Edge. Woodford is a thousand acre world-class facility in Reddick, Florida, breeding and selling their own stock, as well as breaking and training services to outside clients. It's setting up to be a big spring for Woodford. The Woodford bred Mimi Kazushi, who won the UAE Guineas and the UAE Oaks, has been nominated to the Kentucky Oaks, along with the Woodford-trained Grade 2 Golden Rod winner, Hoosier Philly. Meanwhile, on the Derby Trail, the Woodford-bred Rocket Can was second to current Derby favorite Forte in the Fountain of Youth Stakes this weekend, and the Woodford-trained Iroquois Stakes winner Curly Jack will look to avenge his recent defeat in the Risen Star Stakes. Next week, we're going to play the Woodford drinking game, because that's a whole lot of Woodford. And now the Fastest Horse of the Week, presented by the Fast Stallions at Windstar. This week's spotlighted sire has his first yearlings this year and bred 329 mares in his first two seasons. More on that stallion later, but now in a week loaded. With 16 graded stakes from coast to coast, the Fastest Horse of the Week actually emerged from a seven furlong allowance Saturday at Gulfstream Park. White Abario earned a 103 buyer speed figure for a resounding four and a half length victory in that allowance optional claimer for non-winners of two other than maiden or claiming or for horses that hadn't won since June the 4th 
2022. Wide Barrio, he previously taken a maiden and two graded stakes and an allowance, but he was eligible for the race because his last win actually came in the Florida Derby last April 2nd. So it was a perfect storm Saturday for Wide Barrio, especially since his five career wins have all now come at Gulfstream Park. Wide Barrio is a Kentucky bred product of Spinthrift Farm, which raced his dam catching diamonds and stood his sire, Race Day, who was exported to Korea prior to the 2021 breeding season. This week's great races saw seven triple-digit buyer speed figures in all, but somewhat surprisingly, that allowance race made the top of the list. Now, who's that sire at Windstar? Improbable was the winner of the grade one cash call futurity as a two-year-old, and in his four-year-old year, closed out with four great races in a row. Three victories, the Hollywood Gold Cup, 105 buyer, the Whitney with a 106, the Awesome Again with a 108 buyer, and then he duplicated that 108 buyer in the final race of his career, a second place finish to Authentic in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Improbable stands at Windstar for a fee of $25,000. The Green Group is an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred business with over 500 clients in the industry and proven strategies to save you money on your taxes. For more information, go to www.greenco.com. And welcome in now the Green Group guest of the week, the one and only Mike Rapoli. Mike, thanks for joining us. I'm going to make you one promise here. If your answers go beyond, say, two minutes or so, there'll be no violins or anything to worry about. How about that? We got a deal? That's good. What about what, what, what if they go four minutes, though? Then will there be one? Well, maybe we'll have to think of getting the violinist guy back to deal with you. But anyways, well, my congratulations on the win in the Fountain of Youth with Forte. So as we get into March, uh, he's the two-year-old champion. He's trained by Todd Pletcher. He looks like he developed beautifully over the winter, worked great, had a comeback race where you win uh, easily, but don't take too much out of the tank. Got a good buyer figure, etc. As we speak on March seventh, could the script be written any better? Um, the script I, I wrote wasn't even this good, to be honest with you. I mean, um, and you guys all know racing, uh, Randy, Zoe, Bill. Um, the script you write never works out. I mean, this was, you know, I, I, I couldn't. You couldn't script this. Like it just. Um, we just got his rag number, which was a seven and three quarters which was lowest, lower than his best of last year off a four-month layoff. So it's always a promising sign. And, you know, not knowing, you know, mile in the 16th, first time back, you don't really know who the competition was in the race. Probably Randy would and Zoe would give me a better opinion on that. But it was more he didn't race in four months. And all those horses had starts either four weeks ago or eight weeks ago or their second start back. So everything you just said, Bill, was beyond their expectations. Really, really special. So, Mike, you talked about how the script never works out. I mean, so far, this is beginning eerily similar to a horse 12 years ago you had named Uncle Mo, who made a comeback race at Gulfstream Park in a race called the Timely Rider, looked sensational after the layoff, you know, and then the liver thing. We know what happened to him after that. So how much of the Uncle Mo experience has you kind of on pins and needles and never taking anything for granted between now and the first Saturday in May? Well, the, the good thing, Randy, is um – I only need one lesson in life to, uh, and it will stay with me forever. So having that Uncle Mo experience, you know, really, you know, how blessed to have a horse that would have been the favorite in the Derby that was two-year-old champ. I mean, that was like, you know, it was like new emotions of going through something for the first time and and having the pressure, having the Derby favorite 
And, you know, obviously it didn't work out because after the timely rider, he just wasn't looking right. He looked good for that race and he was losing weight and his, uh, his coat was off. So, you know, I did say back then, if you can scratch the favorite in the Kentucky Derby, anything else in this game can't be that tough. And, you know, I think mentally it's kind of prepared me. Um, you know, you guys know how competitive I am and how much I want to win a $5,000 claimer and a, and a grade one. But let's remember, we're in a sport where if an owner wins one out of four races, meaning you lose three out of four, you've done a great job. So the whole sport is designated for if you're not used to losing or failure, then you shouldn't be in the sport. Mike, you jokingly said when we first came in, you alluded to the fact you bought the whole crop last year at the September sale. You're one of the leading buyers at the September sale. But Forte came out of the previous year's September sale, and you didn't have to spend that much money. Jacob West plucked him out for 110000 Does this make you rethink where you're going, or you're just like, I'm just going to have them all now? Well, Zoe, if, if, me, if meaning buying 100 horses versus 75 means I'm sticking to a different strategy. I mean, listen, we bought a bunch the year before also. Um, you know, Jake West is, um, you know, he's the guy that, you know, not only, you know, goes out to look at the horses, but he's part of this amazing team. I mean, um, I love Jake. He gets to sign his name, so it's, he has a lot of fun with that. But between Jake, we got Alex Solis, Ed Rosen with Pedigrees, Jim Martin, Daniel Bricker. I mean, Todd is there all week. Um, I just show up to, to bid and write checks out. And go to dinner. I'm in charge of the dinner plans, uh, usually Jeff Ruby's for five straight nights. But uh, but really, we, we have a great team. We really, really have a great team. And, uh, you know, to me, you know, I got Jim Martin, who's 75 years old, and Ed Rosen, who you guys know well, who's 77. Um, I do joke that they have 150 years of uh, of uh, of uh, experience. Um, but it's just it's just so much. I mean, I almost feel like these horses and me are winning for them. Ed's been in this his whole life. Jim has followed this his whole life. And um, it's just so much fun winning with these guys and winning with the team. And everybody works so hard. So it's so great to win with everybody. Mike, what led to the addition of Alex Solis and Jason Litt? Because, you know, they've been behind the scenes for a couple of years, but you brought them to the forefront this year. You know, it's, 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 it's my theory my whole life. I mean, happy, but not content. You know, how do I get better tomorrow? How do I get better next year? What can I do better? What can I add? And I just have a very competitive personality on, um, on, on never thinking great is good enough. And you have all these successes and you win eight grade ones and then you add to the team. And, you know, you know, if you're a sports franchise, you know, it's great to win one championship. It's very special. Uh, winning back to back is really, you know, very rare. Then there's the three Pete and, you know, listen, I'm looking to stay in the game. I said that 15 years ago. You know, there's so many so many people that come into this game. They spend a lot of money first three years, and then they retire. You know, they retire because they spent $30 million, and they got an overnight allowance win uh, or an overnight stake win as their best success. And, you know, I wish there was a little bit more teaching in the game. Um, and uh, it takes a lot of time. It takes patience. And there's a lot of tough questions and a lot of – answers you need to find out to do this right. Mike, before we hit the record button, you were joking about how, well, here's how I'm going to win the Kentucky Derby every year. I'm going to buy the entire crop. Um, you didn't quite go that far, but uh, with this group that are now three-year-olds, I remember doing a story with you and your partner, Vinny Viola, and you bought 46 yearlings, uh, I think 43 of them 
from Keeneland alone, which is a, just a staggering amount. Talk about that philosophy and why you're not just looking for quality, which everybody's looking for, but you think one of the reasons why you can get to the promised land is also quantity. You know, they actually go together, Bill. Um, you know, Vinny and I, when we like the same horse or we're on, I mean, I'm partners with Vinny. Vinny will buy some on his own. I'll buy some on my own also, but I'll also go partners. I mean, I've gone partners with uh, Eclipse. I've gone partners with Mo Donegal. I've gone partners with 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 West Point. I've gone partners with other people also. Um, to me, you know, I, I, I say this, especially to my nephews at the track. I like to get them, uh, um, I like to make fun of them. Would you rather own 100 horses at 100% or 200 horses at 50%? You know, I don't go in for, you know, 5% or 2% or 3%. Um, I might take a quarter and a third on a couple, you know, but mostly it's 50%. So for me, it's a quality with a quantity game. And the best way I see that formula working is buying 200 at 50% or owning 200 with 50% and 100 at 100%. So like a horse, like we have a horse named Dreamlight. He's going to be in a maiden on Saturday. I like him a lot. You know, he uh, was uh, 87 buyer first time, lost to a horse that ran a 90 buyer who's had three starts. Um, if he wins that, he goes to whatever, Bluegrass, maybe. Maybe he goes to Lexington. Maybe he goes to the Wood Memorial. But that's a horse that cost a million dollars. Maybe if it's just me, you know, I'm using a million on that one. Maybe I'm... A little gunshot, maybe I stop at 750. Knowing I got a partner that's going to go half, I'm viewing that as a $500,000 purchase and not a million dollar purchase. So, and it just doesn't give you double the horses, Bill and Zoe and Randy. It kind of, you know, if you got 15 million to spend and you're going to go buy 50% of the horse, it's like you have 30 million to spend on 50% of the horses. So you get to play the game a little bit different. Horse doesn't pass a vet. I can buy them. Others might pass. Horses only goes to 75,000. I can buy them. A horse goes for 110,000 named Forte. Oh, wow. I'm there to pick him up also. So it's a, it's a strategy that I have of trying to stay longer. When people run out of money after the first and second book, I still got money for that third and fourth book. You know, people were begging me to leave Keeneland last time, last time, last sale. They couldn't wait for me to go home. You know, so it's, it's, yeah. it's a strategy. They couldn't buy horses, you know. How did you meet Vinny Viola? You know, that's a great story, uh, Randy. I, um, in 2007, right after Vitamin Water, I wanted to look at uh, purchasing a piece of the New, New, the New Jersey Nets. And Vinny was the number two shareholder of the Nets, him and Bruce Ratner. So um, I basically had a meeting with Vinny on the Nets. And we just got along really, really well. And Vinny wasn't horse racing yet. And then I got into horse racing earlier, and and Vinny has said this before. When he decided he wanted to get uh, get into horse racing, he made a, one phone call. He called me, and for four or five years, I you know honestly, I gave him, I said, use Todd Pletcher and hire Jim Krupe. Those are the two things you need to do. And at the time, you know, again, I don't know how other egos would do in the game. I was with Todd Pletcher, and I was with Jimmy Krupe, and. Uh, you know, I want to see people have success. Like, you know, I mean, it's so important. Like the game, you know, we we compete too much outside the racetrack. If we all work together, whether it's, you know, Churchill and the Stronach Group and Naira, if they were if they were 
a little smart. They work together. Like this book can be 10 times the size. You know, I mean, you know, the, the media does a great job of the half or little piece that they can show. There's so many great stories in this sport. We do it, you know, we do, we do it a disservice. And, you know, listen, even when I started in this game, God forbid you, you cheer when your horse won that way. You know, when, when, when I went at Saratoga and the floor shake with 50 people, that was frowned upon in 2010, 11, and 12. People looked at me with dirty looks and I smiled brightly and I didn't care. And you know what I do see now? I see more partnerships. I see more people cheering. I see more people rooting. I don't see the golf clap and, and walk there. You know, I mean, let's, let's loosen this up a little bit, man. It's horse racing. And, uh, you know, we, we need more personalities. We need more fun. We need more education. We need more kids like Joya uh, out there loving the sport, cheering on, rooting for people. And, you know, people got to work together. And, uh, you know, Churchill is a public company and Stronic is Stronic and Naira is owned by the state. And, you know, I mean, they just, they don't, they don't get it. And, uh, and I'm not, you know, jockey club, they don't get it either. How's that sound? You know, and by the way, Vinny's on the jockey club, so I'm glad I just said that. So, all right. So is Bill Farish. Who else you want me to shout out right now? So, uh, <laughs> but we, we need to do the right thing, man. We need to do the right thing. This sport has to evolve. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but gambling is legal now in most states. Did you guys know? And you can gamble on horse racing, you know, and per money's going up through the roof and we're growing by accident. But I mean, instead of 10 billion, we could be doing 50 billion, you know, and Percy should be 250,000. And the Kentucky Derby should be for 10 million. You know, let me go to Saudi for 20 million. Let me go to Dubai for 10 million. Come on. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, let's be honest. It's shameful. Shameful. If, if I can buy all the horse racing, I would. I mean, I'd, I'd love to buy the sport, <laughs> the entire sport. It'd be, it would be, it would be bigger than everything but the NFL. I mean, it's huge. So Mike, speaking of, of Forte again, the you you spent uh, you're talking about horses that cost seven figures high six figures he cost one hundred and ten thousand one of the most uh, inexpensive horses you bought what does that say about the inexact science that the yearling sales are well I always say horses uh, don't know how much they cost when they go to a barn or they go to the track when they sit behind, next in the gate they don't say how much are you worth how much am I worth they don't talk like that um, they don't have any social media like the kids do nowadays where they have to show off their winnings and stuff like that. So they're all normal. Um, the difference between a, a $5,000 horse and a million dollar horse, the bills are the same. They eat the same amount. They have the same vet bills. You know, there isn't an exact size. I mean, when you're buying these horses and you guys are experts more than me, you're buying a yearling. What do you, do you equate that to a 12 year old kid? Do you equate that to a 13 year old? I mean, the, the freshman basketball player doesn't always become the college superstar or the NBA player. So there's a development of over a year or six months. That happens and they change from one to two. They change from two to the track and they change from the two to three, you know, and you know, curlings are more three and four year olds and other horses are more precocious two and three. And then there's some horses that are meant to be four year olds. So it also gives us the patience, you know, like this, there's a horse named Overstep who's had three starts, I think three. He'll be in the grade one Carter. He's at into mischief. He was okay at two, very good at two, had some issues. We didn't even try to bring him back. Well, why even waste our time? Let's get him right. Comes back. He's two for two. And now he'll be in the corner. So I just, 
you know, listen, I don't want to criticize other programs or owners because this is an incredibly tough game. You could have the greatest business plan in the world. It's only going to work 20% of the time. But you have to have a business plan here. Because if you don't, you're just going to lose $30 million in three years and never be back in it. Um, so it's a very, you know, listen, I, I look at it. I'm really involved in the vision and the strategy of the stable from whether it's Irad, Johnny, or Jose Ortiz, whether, it, you know, this is a horse for Todd or it's a horse for somebody else, whether, you know, whether this farm, you know, horse should go, we have six farms in Kentucky or six here, but everybody on their team really is in charge of the strategy and the tactics and, and that's it. So, I mean, I empower people to make decisions. These guys really, they really do an amazing job. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, Jose is going to be on Dreamlike on, on, on Saturday. You know, because if he's got a derby shot, he better get used to riding him because Irad might have another horse called Forte. So there's some thinking around that. He worked him the last two weeks. You know, there's a reason why he worked him the last two weeks. Every single detail. And again, I got a, I got a CEO called Todd Pletcher who's meticulous, who's got everything here, there, there. And, you know, and then my mind takes his mind. Like, you know, we talk about things. That like, why are these guys talking about this little simple thing, you know, but because it's not for us, you know, whether the horse worked inside or outside or galloped that, who the exercise rider was. And we get to get right conversations about that. It's a lot of fun. So you mentioned overall business plan and strategy. I mean, you and Vinny Viola have set the curve at Keeneland the last two years with 75 yearling purchases for $30 million. You're bidding a lot of times against the SF Racing Avengers partnership, you're bidding against the new Spinthrift partnership that includes uh, a whole lot of people. And they say, like the SF Racing people say, that the only way to really make these numbers work is if you can hit on a stallion prospect or two that you can then resell to the Kentucky Farms for big money. How much of that is part of your business plan and how close are we to hearing about a potential stallion deal for Forte? Um, I mean, Randy, it's, it's a huge part of it, especially when you see the prices for horses like Flightline, the prices for horses like Life is Good. You know, I kind of look at it um, the same way. When you buy 100 horses, if you can get 2% of them to be grade ones, you're going to pay for the whole crop. Now, it sounds easy, but you need two of them. You need a Nest and you need a Forte. You need a Forte and you need a Vito, like. You need two of them. And, um, you know, so it is very difficult. Um, but I think I play at all different levels. And, and listen, I don't want to give away a secret here, but I'm aggressive. But you want to outbid me? I have no ego. Go outbid me. I have no problem. I'll stop at 1-2 if you want to go to 1-3. I'll stop at 1-5 if you want to go to 1-6. And then I'll just put that back in my pocket and give it back out there, you know? So, but if you stop at one four and I'm at one five, I'm not going to be upset that I got him for one five. So, you know, we're playing chicken here, except I don't mind losing. If they think they beat me at one seven, good. I don't care. I just got more, I got one six to play with. So, you know, I think a lot of people don't know, is he going to stop or is he going to keep going? And you know why they don't know? Because I really don't know until I decide to stop or keep going. And, but I'm there. And when I'm there, I want the horse. Are stallion rights for 4K percolating right now as we speak? 
if you had a sta- if you have a stallion farm, Randy, you should be calling me right now because you'd be the only one that. Ha- I mean, listen, it's 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 part of the game. Um, you know, I mean, he's a violence cult. You know, can he get the distance? Oh, he's out of a blame Philly. Oh, he's a two year old champ. Oh, wow, look what he did now. Um, I mean, it's 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 you know, I mean, it's it's listen, the goal. And any stallion farm I make a deal with, you know, I have to have an option to run him at four. Now, whether we do or not, but it has to be an option that I get to choose whether I run him at four. So that will that's always great. be an option. And everybody knows that's the option. You know, you know, whether he does or not for a certain, I mean, we don't even know if he's going to, let's be honest. We don't even know if he's going to have a next thought. You know, we know how this game is. So I'm not there, but I just need the option and, uh, and, uh, listen, he's, he's special. And, you know, I think Todd and I knew he was very, very, very good. And violences are usually precocious a little bit. And, you know, will he make the distance? Sometimes they get a mile and a 16th at two, but that's a mile and eighth is not, you know, Todd and I, I don't think, we even envisioned what we saw on Saturday. And and that's pretty strong. Nerve-wracking, but pretty pretty strong. It's it's super exciting and it's an enviable position to be in. You you've got a lot of horses. I've got two questions. Does Top Ledger have enough room for all of the horses that you're gonna have in training the next few years? And are you coming to Southern California? You got one horse out here with Michael McCarthy by the name of Uncontrollable. Is there a chance that we can lure the Ripoli stable out to Southern California where the sun is always shining, mostly? Well, Zoe, I live in Florida. I mean, if you want to see the sun out here, it's beautiful here. And, and, just, <laughs> and just so you know, the taxes are much better here too, if you just, if you wanted to know that. So, but, uh, but, uh, but no, but the, I, I actually bought three cowbreds. So we know three more are coming. So I got three Calibrate two-year-olds. Yeah. So we know three more of those are coming. Um, I, I ran with there last year. You know, so I, I think, you know, um, you know, watching a grade two, three with four Bob Baffert entries is kind of concerning, to be honest with you. Um, you know, me and Todd have talked about stabling there, maybe with 10 or 15 horses, but it's, you know, Todd is just such a micromanager. He has to get to Monmouth. He has to get to Belmont. He has to get to Saratoga. He has to get to Palm Beach Downs. He has to get to, so we stabled last year. I mean, he's going to stable in Kentucky this year, like he did last year, both Keeneland and Churchill or Churchill and Keeneland. So I think we're moving West. You know, I won more races at Keeneland last, you know, uh, March or April and May than I did in, in, at Aqueduct. So that's saying something, uh, you know, with the quality, you want to go with the quality races too. So we're moving West. And I think that as you see some steak races and some more California breads, or um, I think I'll, I'll have a bigger presence. Um, but, you know, do I think I'm going to have 45 horses out there? You know what? Maybe when I have 400, maybe. So maybe in a year or two. So, so give me a couple more years. So. <laughs> so Mike, give us an update on Nest. What's she up to? You know, she, she's doing great. She came in. I mean, you know, with Philly like that, you know, what what early races do you really have to run? You know, she's so good. Um, you know, Todd and I have been talking. I mean, 
running her Oak Day in um, in the grade uh, grade one. I can't think of the race. Zoe Bill or uh, Randy should know it, but there's a race on Oak Day for older fillies. And um, I think right La now, Trian. what is it? La Trian. Yeah, La, 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 La Trian. And that's the spot that we're looking at. And then, you know, obviously Belmont Day, maybe in Saratoga or maybe Breeders' Cup if it works out perfect. But, you know, we gave her time off. You know, she's grown up, she's developed. Um, she's, you know, we all know about curling, what happens between three and four usually, right? So, you know, it's hard to think that she might even be better, but, you know, Malathot was pretty good, her four-year-old, and unfortunately she beat me, and Todd was the trainer, so I didn't talk to him for a while, but that's another story. So, <laughs> yeah, that's my never disappoint, my well, friend. I, I appreciate no. it, guys, and I appreciate <laughs> what you guys do, and I wish there was more people that helped you guys out. Thanks, Mike. You're the best. As this week's entertaining and loquacious guest of the week, Mike Rapoli will receive a free one-hour tax consultation from The Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. Learn more about The Green Group at www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select The Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonderwheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes with some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year-round. There's never been a better time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all-time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky Breads. Breed them. Raise them. Race them. We all win. The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the KTOB, the Kentucky Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders. Let's talk money. Purse money in Kentucky, an all-time high. More than $165 million paid out to horsemen in 2022. Kentucky's average purse per race, more than $77,000. That's more than Arkansas, New York, California, and Florida, more than any other racing Jurisdiction and the average field size, 8.4 starters per race in Kentucky, higher than Florida, New York, and California. Registering your horse with the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund ensures that you'll be racing for the maximum purse amounts available for registered Kentucky breads. Breed them, race them, raise them. We all win. 
So the big news at San Anita over the weekend was the San Felipe and the big cap. Let's start with the San Felipe as being on the subject of three-year-olds. And uh, what an interesting afternoon, both good and bad for Tim Yachtin. He's got all these horses in the race, and he's got all this attention uh, on him because he's got the Baffert horses. And he's got Hijazi and National Treasure, and, and he's going to take all these Baffert horses to the Kentucky Derby, etc. Then lo and behold, he wins the race. But with the horse that's been in his barn all along, Practical Move, who got a 100 buyer. So but based on the buyer figure, a very legitimate effort. As far as the um, former Baffert horses, not a good afternoon for them. National Treasure was the morning line favorite, was scratched. We don't know what's going to become of him now. Then Hijazi, who was um, one among the favorites, uh, again, once he looks like he probably is just a sprinter, uh, though a fast one. He ran fourth. But, uh, Randy, I got to imagine if you're a fly on the wall in Tim Yachtin's barn, he, he probably was had a smile from ear to ear. It, it's got to feel better to win with your own horse. Oh, sure. And the way he won, too, was very impressive. Now, granted, he did get an absolutely perfect trip because jockey Ramon Vasquez was sitting inside all the way around the track, essentially, behind Hijazi, not in any hurry to get out because he could see that the right rein was dangling on Hijazi and he was drifting. When he went into the backstretch, he drifted pretty substantially. So I think Vasquez knew that when they turned for home, he was going to have plenty of room to get through inside. And that's exactly what happened. But practical move made the best of it. And he very quickly, he showed a nice turn of foot by very quickly running up into that opening and taking over and, and winning in pretty commanding fashion. And the gallop out was pretty impressive as well. So the 100 buyer definitely points him out as a leading contender for the Kentucky Derby. Right now, I'd put him just behind Forte and Arabian Knight, and maybe he'll have a, sh a showdown with Arabian Knight in the Santa Anita Derby. But all systems go for practical moves. Zoe, I thought he looked really good. He did. I, I believe uh, someone liked him last week. Would that be uh, myself? Um, yeah, he was terrific. Sat in the pocket. Uh, you, I mean, it looked from the pan that he squeezed through an opening, but you could have driven a Mack truck through the opening and the rail because Hajasi was lugging out the whole way. Uh, practical move the best. You know who ran terrific was the runner-up. Go Rocket Ride, yep. his second lifetime start, up on a hot pace. He dropped back at the 3 8 pole. I thought he was going to be last. Flavian was riding him. He ate a little bit of dirt, and then he cut down to the inside and he was running at the end, and he galloped out in front. I mean, didn't gallop out in front of Practical Move, but he was way ahead of the rest of the field. He ran terrifically, and Dick Mandela was absolutely beaming after the race. They're very, very excited about Go Rocket Ride. But for Tim, absolutely delighted for Tim to win with Practical Move. And it's it's kind of a good situation for Tim because he, he gets the Baffert horses in his barn the week before this race. So essentially, they're running off of Bob's training. Now the only way is up, or I mean, or not at all, for those horses that just got moved into Tim's barn. Um, I'm just delighted for him and the connections to win that race. Yeah, Skinner ran pretty well too, finishing third. Yes, he lugged in a little bit at the top of the stretch, but once he got his lead straightened out, he really surged there the last 16th of a mile as if he's a horse that could appreciate longer distances. And as I pointed out on NBC, when you look at these races, the Fountain of Youth and the, the San Felipe, it's not always about who wins. 19 horses historically have won either of the two races and then gone on to win either the Derby or the Preakness or sometimes both. But 31 horses who were beaten in the San Felipe and the Fountain of Youth came back to win the Derby or the Preakness. So you can't certainly can't count out Go Rocket Ride and Skinner at this point either. The next Giacomo.
I mean, mile and a quarter for Skinner, write it on the wall. Well, before we get on to the San Diego handicap, we're on the subject of three-year-olds. Ray's Kane won the Gotham. Big long shot winner. Didn't get a particularly good field. Uh, you know, congratulations to the connections. But guys, probably not a major threat for the Kentucky Derby. He looked very visually impressive, but that the Gotham was a muddy race in more ways than one, right? I mean, the track condition made it uh, very difficult, for example, to do a speed figure on the race because the speed of the racetrack seemingly changed from race to race as the day progressed. It was run sort of in upside-down fashion with a very fast pace despite the demanding track surface. And therefore, the horses that were way back in the back, like Slip Mahoney, who showed zero early speed and race gain, Finish one, two, three. So it's a very difficult race to get a line on, and maybe we'll learn a little bit more about these horses if you get a fast track in the Wood Memorial. How about Ben Colbrook? He put the saddle on Ray's cane, watched the race on his way to the airport on the phone, got to Turfway in time to saddle Scooby Quando in the John Battaglia. That horse ran second, so he was in both places at once. Congratulations to Antonio Sano for the win with Congruent, by the way, and the John Battaglia. But, yeah, a good day for Ben Colbrook. And the John Battaglia won by Sonny Leone. Yeah. So we may have a Sonny Leone 2.0 story in this year's Kentucky Derby. We'll see about that. Okay, so now back to Santa Anita. The other big race of the day, of course, was the big cap. And uh, Stiletto Boys, you know, he's an easy horse to root for. And, uh, you know, trained by Ed Moger Jr., um, you know, we like to see it doesn't always have to be Bob Baffert, Todd Pletcher, Brad Cox, Chad Brown, and Steve Asmussen. We like to see these little guys get in there. I mean, he's no star, but he shows up in all these races. He runs hard, and, and he, he ran the race of his life to win. Kent Desarmo was aboard. We all know his story and all the off-track problems he's had. It was his third big cap win, but his first since 2002. So a little bit of a feel-good story for the little boy, Randy. Yeah, it was, it was it was nice to see someone else win win for a change. Uh, and and Stiletto Boy did you know nail uh, defunded right before the wire, and Proxy was rallying with him to finish second. Look, I don't think Stiletto Boy really really wants to go a mile and a quarter. I don't think Defunded really wants to go a mile and a quarter. I don't think Hopper, the fourth place horse, really wants to go a mile and a quarter. Proxy did the Proxy thing. He's one for eleven in his career in graded stakes races, but he's always coming. He's always gaining ground in the stretch. He always looks like next time is going to be the time. He has no problem with a mile and a quarter. He probably would like a mile and a half, but he ran well to, to be beaten only a neck. It was a good race, not in your upper echelon of, uh, of big caps historically, but cool to see a horse like Stiletto Boy win it, I agree. It was a terrific race to be there in person, to be honest, to watch those three come to the wire. Proxy was on the outside fence. I thought he was going to make a right-hand turn and come right in the winner's circle where I was standing. But a terrific race. The crowd went nuts. Good for Kent DeSormo and, and good for the Mojo brothers. Uh, I mean, when was the last time we saw a brother as a trainer and an owner? I mean, we've seen it with DeSormo brothers. But these are two brothers taking down one of the most historic races in big cap history. So that was really cool to me, Stephen Edmoja. Well done, boys. All right, let's turn our attention to what's going on this weekend. And so far as the three-year-old front goes, the big race will be the Tampa Bay Derby. Uh, Randy, have we figured out this horse's name yet? Tampa Trice? Trice? You're, you're yeah. kind of a resident expert on this. I actually just texted Mandy Pope this morning because I knew we were going to be talking about the horse. And <laughs> so have you decided what the pronunciation is going to be? It's, as the stewards would say, as is. She's not okay. going to change it to Tappet Trice. So I think it's Tappet Trice. 
Is that okay. the way he's been pronounced? So uh, I believe so. Yes, Tappet Price uh, is the uh, owner. Uh, so again, uh, it is official. You can go to the windows, cash your tickets if you bet on Tappet Price being the official name of this horse. But um, uh, his name aside, he's a very good horse. Trained by Todd Pletcher, who's won this race five times, looking for his sixth win in the Tampa Bay Derby. Um, it looks to me. I mean, again, now we also have to say this. We, we have this discussion for many of these races before the entries come out. So if there's a last minute curveball, we apologize for that. But he's going to be odds on in this race, Randy. And I would expect that he would win and join Forte as, you know, a top four or five type horse in Pletcher's Barn for Kentucky Derby, uh, is Kentucky Derby Arsenal. Yeah. I mean, Tapatrice is, uh, is a legitimate heavy, heavy, heavy favorite, whatever you want to call him. He's going to be He's going to be four to five or even money. And especially when you consider that, you know, in the in the field of 10 that Tampa Bay Downs is expecting. And they're pretty good historically at nailing who's going to enter in these races at Tampa and who's not. The second favorite could actually wind up being Shesterkin, who was also trained by Todd Pletcher, who was second to Tappet Trice in the allowance race at Gulfstream, beaten eight lengths. It goes to show you how dominant Tappet Trice looks on paper against uh, some of these other horses. The Sam Davis winner, Litigate, who also comes from the Pletcher Barn, is is rerouted from the Tampa Bay Derby to the Louisiana Derby. So Pletcher's got his bases covered here on several different fronts going forward. What's wrong with Groveland? He seems to be a rapidly improving horse for trainer Owen Harty, a son of Street Sense who won the Tampa Bay Derby and went on to win the Kentucky Derby. Street Sense is sired by Street Cry, who Owen Harty trained as well. So I'm, I'm going full circle here for Owen Harty. Go back and watch the replay of his last race. He got stopped cold at the 3 8 pole. I think there is a lot more to Groveland than meets the eye. And he was 20 to 1 last time. He's going to be a long shot. I'm not saying he can beat Tapatrice. I'm just going to say he's going to be in the running at the end. All right, so the Tampa Bay Derby tops the action at Oakland, the Azari Stakes. So the entries are already out for that. So we know Secret Oath, last year's Kentucky Oaks winner, will be making her four-year-old debut for Wayne Lucas. Clarier is in that field as well. And uh, Zoe, the Beholder Mile in San Carlos at Santa Anita this weekend. Tell us a little bit about those races. Yeah, grade one Beholder Mile. I have the probables right here. It looks like it's going to be perhaps Pauline's Pearl coming in for Asmussen, Midnight Memories, Kirsten Bosch for uh, John Sadler, Adair Manor. She's going to love the distance for Hall of Famer Bob Baffert. Uh, Amo Ray is coming in for trainer Brad Cox. Uh, Fun to Dream, who's a really cool calbred filly of Bob Baffert's. Um, those are going to be the main contenders in the grade one Beholder Mile. And then the grade two San Carlos. I think it may be a smaller field, but it looks like we're going to see Forbidden Kingdom in there, who is training lights out for Dick Mandela. His table's really heating up of late. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. The XBTV workout of the week is Prosper. Prosper is a $1.7 million Keeneland September purchase for Woodford Racing, Tala Racing, and West Point Thoroughbreds. He worked a sharp five furlongs for trainer John Sadler on Sunday in a minute and change. That's a minute point three fifth seconds for his very first start. Looks like Terry Finley will say this horse will start in just a couple of weeks. He looks a very, very nice prospect for West Point Thoroughbreds. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. 
experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining a West Point Thoroughbred group can launch you literally right into the winner's circle for a fraction of the cost of doing it on your own. It's two-year-old season in Ocala, Florida, and West Point Thoroughbreds will be active at the sales. We'll be starting with the OBS March sale of two-year-olds in training, March 20th through the 22nd. If you're interested in getting involved in a West Point partnership and would like syndicate information on their available horses, contact Debbie at westpointthoroughbreds.com. This week's Remy Block cartoon is in. It appears every Friday in the Thoroughbred Daily News, and he's got two horses in stalls with an elevator in between the two of them, and it's going up to the penthouse or down to the barn. Which way are they going to go? Up the ladder, let's hope that Remy's horses go up the uh, elevator to the penthouse and they become, hey, the next flight line or something like that. And that's a wrap for this week's show here on the Thoroughbred Writers Room Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I want to thank Mike Rapoli, our Green Group Guest of the Week. I want to thank Patty Wolf, our producer, Katie Petruniak, our associate producer, my co-hosts, Zoe Cadman, and, of course, Randy Moss. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Lucy. I'm compelled to prove that Lucy is actually alive. And well. She is indeed. Boy, she's cute, Randy. Uh, also, our editors, Anthony LaRocca, Alina LaRocca, and Nathan Wilkinson. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll catch up with you next week. Mm-hmm.